WBNE. Hello, and welcome to episode 39, all about the stairs of Sirith Uncle, chapter 8, book 4 of The Two Towers, being the 39th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I'm joined by Megan, the fangirl. Welcome. Hi, thank you for inviting me over here. Yeah, um, I had Isaac Carlson on a couple episodes ago and I messaged him later and was like, do you have any recommendations for people to come on? And he recommended you and I checked out your YouTube channel and holy cow, you have some like really in-depth, really interesting videos for a variety of fandoms. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I'm kind of the no focused theorist, I guess I, I go on whatever tangent I'm in in that day. And it's uh, weird, random and wonderful. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And tell me a bit about your history or experience with Lord of the Rings. How did you get into it? Um, well, way back, and I'm going to date myself so hard here, when I was in high school, the movies started coming out. So we had about a two year span where we knew it was coming before it was released. So I started reading the books. And my one of my closest friends in high school was huge into it. He had been having the books read to him since he was three. So it was really kind of nice to be like, I don't understand this or what was going on here? Why did they, they do that? And, you know, we'd be passing notes back and forth and people would think we were dating. But it was like, no, here's an explanation of what happened to Gandalf the Grey. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it, it worked out with Zelda, too. He drew me a whole map from memory of Ocarina of Time. It was great. Wow, that's impressive. I thought you were going to say a map from memory of Breath of the Wild. And I was like, that's impressive. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been like scary, especially since that was like 20 years before. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) That was one thing that I really wish looking back like of my childhood and stuff that I played the Zelda games and stuff. But because uh, I got with like, it was my first like dumb adult purchase where I was like, I have a bunch of money. I want a Nintendo Switch. I'm going to do it. And so I bought a Switch and everyone was saying the best game to play on it was Zelda Breath of the Wild. And it's my favorite game ever now. And I really wish that I could like go back in time now and play all of the like old, poorly made with like awful graphics Zelda games. (laughs) They were really good. (laughs) I mean, even when they didn't look so great, they were still like really really great. Yeah. Yeah, especially uh, the original SNES Link to the Past. That was probably my favorite. But yeah, they've re-released that one so many times that you could probably still find it. I think they just put it out on the 3DS even. Like the irresponsible part of me really just wants to save up a bunch of money to buy the old gaming systems that I wasn't allowed to have or I didn't get and buy that and then just buy all these old games so I can play them. But anyway. I will tell you, do it, do it, do it, do it. Because I still have every gaming system. I have my dad's Atari 2600. Like I have every single one of them. That's very cool. Did I say 26? I think it's 3600. I have sick brain. So um, I'm probably going to say quite a few things wrong today, as well as sound like a cow just stepped on my throat. But I'm going to manage. And then I want to start asking my guests this during this period. Just like a quick check in. How are you doing? Is your part of the world alive still? Is everything okay? And it's okay to not be okay also. 
Yeah, it's it's really weird here because I'm in Ohio, which has taken the coronavirus one of the most uh, serious places about it. Um, I had a friend visiting down in Florida last week and he came back to Ohio and was like, well, it's starting to feel real now. Nobody in Florida is taking it seriously. But yeah, we have the schools are shut down. The theaters are shut down. Like everything is shut down right now. We're not even supposed to leave unless it's to get supplies. Yeah, it's crazy. I live in Virginia and the governor just issued, he closed all of the schools through the rest of the academic year. Oh, wow. Yeah. We're expecting that that's going to happen, but we have not had any official word yet. Yeah. So listeners, everyone, make sure to go check in on your friends that have school-aged children. They're going to be struggling for a bit. (laughs) And especially the seniors this year, my heart is just so broken for all of them and all everything they're losing out on. Yeah, yeah, it makes me it makes me so sad. I'm pretty sure I have a couple people listening who fall into that group of either seniors in high school or seniors in college. I'm really sorry. It's a bummer. And unfortunately, you know, in this kind of a situation, there's not much more to be said than I'm sorry, it's a bummer. Last week's episode of Dear Hank and John, they had a great point about dealing with this weird grief that people are going through of having to miss out on a lot of events or big opportunities and things like that. And how that's a weird, it's a really weird thing to be experiencing. So if you're something, if you're someone experiencing that or going through this, uh, I recommend listening to that episode of Dear Hank and John. So all that fun stuff being said, we're going to move into Lord of the Rings into a completely different universe that doesn't have coronavirus. Instead, they have Sauron. So far. (laughs) Yeah, knock on wood, who knows. Just uh, some context for you. I have not been enjoying Two Towers in a while. The first half of it is amazing, in my opinion, because it follows Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. They're having a fun time. Merry and Pippin awake the ints, and we meet Treebeard. Gandalf comes back. There's a huge... It's all great stuff. This half of the book has not been great. It's been a lot of Sam and Frodo kind of fumbling around. They meet Faramir and Faramir is great. And then they go back to being on their own. But this chapter for me is where I was like, wow, this is getting good again. It's really ramping up to something. Yeah, when you told me what chapter it was, I didn't remember it off the top of my head. But as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, oh, good. This is a Gollum one because he's my favorite. I I think he's so interesting to pick apart. And there's a lot to pick apart about him in this from just a little bit of context. That's great for me to hear you say that because uh, I feel like my perspective and with a lot of my guests, too, for these Gollum chapters have been a lot of like, yeah, Gollum's crazy. And that's about all that we know how to say. Oh, so like, no, please, <laughs> like, please jump in and provide like any insight or other perspective, because you're right. He is a really he's a really interesting character. He's got a lot going on. And I, I don't even know that the book really expresses how much he has going on, like for how wordy Tolkien can be. He he really just kind of gives a line or two to Gollum and moves on to something else. And and in that line, there can be so much that you can see an internal conflict going on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you are definitely right about Tolkien being wordy is one of the traits that I constantly make fun of him about. <laughs> that he is this extraordinary writer. And then there are times where he'll do stuff where I'm like, you probably could have 
said that in, you know, three sentences instead of three paragraphs. But yeah, I I feel like the second half of this book could have been maybe one or two chapters and we would have kept up just fine. Exactly. So this chapter, this is chapter eight, The Stairs of Sirith Ungol. I think I might be saying that correctly, but who knows? <laughs> I will know. I, I don't think I've ever pronounced anything correctly. My friend used to yell at me because I said Galadriel instead of Galadriel. So do not look at me for the correct pronunciation of anything. No, no, no. Thank you. Before I read these books, I had only seen Galadriel written out. And my brain automatically read it as Galadriel. And I knew that wasn't yes, correct. That, see, I didn't. I just I just owned it. <laughs> like a Hermione situation with Hermione. <laughs> so I said that one as Harmony for the longest time. It's it's like it's that phenomenon where your brain, if there are like letters missing or if a word is scrambled, your brain can like automatically fill in the gaps and will tell you what that word is. So when you come across a word you haven't encountered before, you're like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that says. Yeah, I'm I'm just really bad at English, I think. And this is like also a hard book to read. It's funny how you were saying that it was nice when you were reading it that you could you had a friend who could step in and explain and be like, this is what happened in this chapter. This is what happened with Gandalf. He was my Sparks notes before we had those. That's uh, oh, um, speaking of Spark notes, uh, because I read I read the Spark note summary for each chapter, and just to it's just like a nice way to refresh my memory. And then also it's interesting because sometimes Spark notes will leave things out that happened, yes. or they really or something that like took up seven pages. Spark notes will summarize in four words and it's so insane and ridiculous i noticed that in this chapter too because notes i had taken was like wait a minute you didn't even talk about that yeah exactly yeah there was one point where i wrote down like one bullet point and it encompassed the span for like the next two or three pages (laughs) sorry i want to pull it up because there was a specific line that Sparknotes said about frodo that i feel like also summarizes a lot of our current situations oh it said Frodo remains extremely distressed. And I was like, yep, that's that's kind of a, it was talking about like, they continue onward, but Frodo is still extremely distressed. And I'm like, yep. How relevant. I feel you. So continuing on from last chapter, Gollum is extremely antsy and anxious to get moving. He uses the phrase, make haste, which I think is just super interesting that Tolkien elected to use that specific word, haste, because it's the same that Treebeard uses. It's the same word that Treebeard uses. And Treebeard says, let's not be hasty. Don't be hasty. And we know that Treebeard is like the best character in all of Lord of the Rings, but... He's like, fun. We know that he's like he's a good entity. He's a good he's on our side. He's fighting the good fight and we feel like we can trust him. And I think it's interesting that Tolkien uses that word again here kind of like to call attention to the fact that Gollum is on the opposite 
spectrum of that as Treebeard, where Gollum is, he makes us nervous and we don't know if we can trust him or not. We have no idea what he's thinking and we're not sure if he's in it for the greater good. He is, he's only in it for the ring is all that we can trust. And the weird thing is, is that they describe Frodo as being very on edge and anxious, but it's never about Gollum, who is what I would think the most stress inducing character. Yeah, it's, he's very, yeah, Frodo, it says Frodo and Sam were plodding along with heavy hearts, no longer able to care greatly about their peril. And further down, um, let's see, every step was reluctant and time seemed to slow its pace so that between the raising of a foot and the setting of it down, minutes of loathing passed. It's a lot of Frodo feeling this like really heavy weight and anxiety of being in Mordor and near Sauron and with the ring. It's like if I've never used a weighted blanket, but I feel like that's what this feels like is he's traveling around and has like a massive, very heavy weighted blanket just on top of him. And also like Mordor smells and it's nasty in here and the air is thick and disgusting and not conducive for heavy hiking, which is what they are essentially doing. Oh, and uh, yeah, the straight stairs, as they called them, um, I thought it was interesting how they said that they were uneven and more steep like a ladder and that some of the steps were cracking under the weight as they were walking on it. And that's with hobbits, which are like half the size of humans. So it it really kind of makes me wonder if the fellowship had stayed together. I mean, there's no way they could have all gone through that stairway. Oh, that's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah, if the hobbits are almost too heavy, then Gimli would even be too heavy. So nobody else was going up there. And I I almost wonder if Gandalf knew that the party would break down because he always seems to have these cards up his sleeve and he never wants anybody to see the hand he's playing. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good point. However, I feel like that's giving Gandalf a lot of credit. (laughs) Where credit is not necessarily due. You know, it's like like Dumbledore and Gandalf are two sides of the same coin, essentially. And it's a lot of the same similar situations with Dumbledore, where it's like, who knows if Dumbledore knew all along about, you know, X, Y, and Z. And that's why he told Harry to do these things. And it's it's the same with Gandalf. And, um, and... It's, it's hard for me because Dumbledore is my favorite Harry Potter character. And often I'm like, oh, yeah, Dumbledore definitely had to know about that. But I feel like Gandalf didn't know about a lot of this. Well, and I, I will say I'm basing this off the movie because I didn't get to reread Fellowship for this. But I watched the film, which was like a good four hours long. And they, there were a few places where... When Boromir first joins the Fellowship and, you know, they're kind of seeing he's already developing this want for the ring, this lust for it, and they still let him join the Fellowship, even though they knew that's probably going to be a problem. But then there's also, uh, at least in the movie again, I'm not sure about the book, uh, but when they go into the Mines of Moria, Gandalf pushes that on for Frodo to decide, and Gandalf seemed to know that that big fire demon was down in there. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think he makes the same, he gives Frodo the same decision to make where he's like, all right, Frodo, this is, you're the one carrying the ring. What should we do now? And I, 
I think it is Frodo who says, yeah, let's go through Moria and let's do that. Yeah, but but that was without some very key information. About like, oh, by the way, there might be like demons in there that could kill us. <laughs> well, and, and if you, again, with the movie and you look at it, Gandalf had to have known that all the dwarves in Moria were already dead because he knew that beast was down there. He knew it was infested with orcs. And he did not share that information before they went through. It's like he doesn't trust the people that he works with. So I never quite trust Gandalf. Yeah, I I totally get that. He's he's a really tricky character. And and it's also like I wonder if he had been Gandalf the White when all of this started, if he would have known about more, if he would have, you know, told people more about the situation if he had been Gandalf the White versus Gandalf the Grey. Um I don't know. He's like, he's an elusive creature, that man. <laughs> he, he is. And you can see when, gosh, I'm going to get people confused now. Sauron, I think, or Saruman, Saruman. the other white wizard. Yes, yeah, When he really, yes. When he betrays Gandalf and you could see it, it was almost a very genuine surprise for Gandalf. So that could have been a turning point for him where he's like, okay, I'm going to keep all these cards close to my chest. Nobody's knowing what's going on. I'm going to hang out over here in the corner and hope we make it. Yeah, he definitely was. It's very, uh, I say this about Dumbledore a lot too, but it's very like, it kind of parallels real life how there are these people that you look up to and look to for guidance. And sometimes there are moments where you realize, oh, they don't know all the answers and even they're going to be, you know, surprised or upset or shocked by things. They don't have, they don't have a plan either. None of us do. <laughs> yeah, everybody hits that age growing up where they're like, oh, no, we're all just people and nobody knows what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and also what you were saying, you were saying earlier about like about Gandalf knowing that Moria was dangerous, but taking them anyway. I think it's also similar to the situation that Frodo, Sam and Gollum are in and what Gollum remarks on later where they're like, this is a really dangerous way. And Gollum is like, yeah, we're going into Mordor. Literally everything is dangerous. Every way we go is going to be dangerous, no matter which way you slice it. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, that, that's not an unfair point. I just kind of wish that Gandalf had been more forthcoming with the information he had so they could at least, you know, if they chose to go the orc and demon infested path, it was knowingly. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um. Yeah, because Sam gets mad about like that same thing of like, it would have been nice to at least know about all that. Um, so yeah, so they're moving forward and it's everything around them is getting dark. And Frodo, uh, he, he says, it's heavy on me, Sam lad, very heavy. I wonder how far I can carry it. And he's like physically being dragged down by the weight of the ring. And I guess the weight and the pressure of of just evilness everywhere. <laughs> and Gollum is like, we can't stop here to rest. And right as he says that, boom, bada bing, action happens. And I was very excited because <laughs> not a lot has happened so far. The most action-y part that happened was when they met Faramir and there was a battle. But I feel like that was, that was like, I don't even know, four chapters ago at this point. And... They hear just 
a bunch of high-pitched screaming that sounds terrifying. (laughs) Uh, It says, mingled with harsh high voices as of birds of prey and the shrill neighing of horses wild with rage and fear, there came a rending screech, shivering, rising swiftly to a piercing pitch beyond the range of hearing. And they look over and says, I love this sentence because it's very like, definite and kind of like terrifying and out of the gate an army came and it's just i'm imagine i'm likening it in my brain to the um, battle of helm's deep where it's just like a sea of orcs and out of the gates come this sea of i don't know if they're i guess they're not all ring wraiths but they're all like evil gross soldiers for sauron's doing and bidding and well, they had the king of the ring wraiths there. Yes. At least. Yes. And this guy is dope. I don't know anything about him, but he sounds <laughs> so cool. Like, I know he's terrified. I know it's got to be terrifying and absolutely just, yeah, terrifying. But he sounds amazing. So this is what it says. A rider, all black, save that on his hooded head that he had a helm like a crown that flickered with a perilous light. Surely there was the Lord of the Nine Riders returned to earth to lead his ghastly host to battle. Yeah, so this is what Tolkien can't come up with a name for this guy because he is referred to as Lord of the Riders, the Wraith Lord, Morgul King, which I like that one the best. That one sounds the coolest. And the Wraith King. And I think I've seen pictures of this uh, and images of of who this guy is, but I'm like, that sounds like a really dope villain to, to be introducing into the book. You know, I have to say, having read all three of the books before, it doesn't stick out in my mind that he really shows back up later. Oh, no. Well, I'm sure. Sh- I don't I don't know if they just like never got to him again. Or maybe I just like blacked it out because I'm trying to get through so much expository text. Yeah. But yeah, I can't remember him being a huge part later on, not to spoil anything. Sorry. But. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me if like, uh, and my my ex- my expectations for this guy are pretty much that I'll probably see him again at you know the end of Return of the King when there's a big battle is what I'm imagining is the next time we're gonna encounter him is he'll be there in some battle and someone will come up against him. I don't know who that is and I don't know what battle, but hopefully fingers crossed that I've just totally forgotten all <laughs> that, which is very possible. There's also a lot of writers and ring wraiths and P- and you know dark servants of Sauron to keep track of. Um, but I just lo- I just love this idea that there's a king of the writers and that he is the darkest and the scariest of all of them. I don't know. It just sounds it just sounds very cool. As they're watching this army of dark soldiers leaving Frodo feels the urge to grab the ring and use it and feels that overcoming him and like part of his brain clearing out where he's like losing all will to restrain that urge and then there's like another side of him that remembers that this is bad hey this is a bad idea don't put the ring on and he reaches up and he remembers and it was when he touched it was when he touched the, um, gosh, the gift from Galadriel. Yeah, yeah. It was like Galadriel saving the day without even being there. 
says, yeah, the vial of Galadriel, so long treasured and almost forgotten till that hour. As he touched it for a while, all thought of the ring was banished from his mind. I love that. And also, like, I forgot about it. (laughs) I forgot that Galadriel gave him this, like, gift of pure light or something. So I'm glad Frodo remembered it because it definitely pulled him out of that darkness. It's almost like... It's got a purification element mm-hmm. to it because it's it's the light from a star, I guess. Yeah, I don't remember exactly. Starlight in a bottle. I'm, I'm not quite sure how they phrased what that was. Yeah, all it said right here, it says the vial of Galadriel. So <laughs> I was like, is this like essence of Galadriel? And she like took her hair and put it in here or yeah, it's yeah, it's some kind of light magic. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's, it's from the elves. It's one of their, it's one of uh, the wonderfully personal gifts that she gave them when they were leaving Lorien. And I'm like, yeah, at a girl Galadriel saving the day without even being there to save the day. Um, well, they had to keep her in somehow. Yeah, right. <laughs> they had to be like, remember her? Well, here she is again. She saved everything. Um, well, not saved everything. There's but... girls in the story, we promise. Yeah. <laughs> then it occurs to Frodo that, oh, this army is probably heading in the direction of Faramir and his gang and his army, and they're going to fight, and it's not going to be good. And I was very concerned and scared for Faramir because he's amazing. My concern is that he's going to die because he's like, he's just the much better version of Boromir in every way. And like, he's too good to survive all of this. Well, I'll be completely honest. I can't spoil that for you because I have no memory of what happens to him. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I was concerned and scared for his fate. So I was like, all right, I'm sure I won't be able to read about what happens with Faramir and with this army for a while. So I'm just going to have to trust that Faramir can handle it. Then Frodo goes into this spiral of like self-loathing and angst, very reminiscent of (laughs) Harry in The Order of the Phoenix kind of angst where he's like, everything is lost. This is all in vain. Nothing is going to work. We're all going to die here. Even if my errand is performed, no one will ever know. There will be no one I can tell. It will be in vain. It's followed by, I'll admit, this very sweet moment from Sam. Just an FYI, I'm not a huge fan of Sam. I don't, I I have very on the fence feelings about three of the four hobbits it just feels like they're kind of needlessly inserted into oh the story. that's so great oh that's so great um i love that i love that take that <laughs> they're just needlessly inserted i get it and i agree um although it is it is nice to have mary and pippin because they provide some kind of comic relief but yeah and it, it also does beg the question that like or not beg the question but it also does uh Make you wonder, like, I don't know if Frodo could have done this without the other three, though, because Frodo was pretty useless in the beginning of the Fellowship. In the book, at least, the other three hobbits pretty much take care of everything for Frodo. I think it's Mary who goes off to set up Frodo's house in Crick Hollow or something, and then Pippin and Sam travel with him, and they carry the bulk of Frodo's stuff because Frodo is so out of shape that he can't do it. Well, to be fair, he is a cap boy. I mean, he's got like the richest uncle in the Shire. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so there is this very sweet moment that happens when Frodo is kind of in his, mo- the like darkest moments that he's thought so far where he's really, he's really feeling that this is all pointless. It's all in vain. We're going to die here. It says, then at a great distance, as if out, wait, then at a great distance, as if it came out of memories of the Shire, some sunlit early morning, when the day called and doors were opening, he heard Sam's voice speaking. Wake up, Mr. Frodo, wake up. And I love that moment of contrasting like this dark, evil setting and dark thoughts and feelings with, hey, but your buddy Sam is here and he's here to help you and he's going to pull you out of this moment of darkness and he's going to help you move forward. Well, and it's almost at that point like Frodo is getting so out of body, like this all feels like a bad dream. I don't think I highlighted an exact quote, but I think that's actually like talked about in this chapter of Frodo feeling very like a different part of him is taking over. And oh, because I forgot to mention when they first arrive, they come to this bridge and there's the part of Frodo that's somewhat controlled by the ring that totally takes over and Frodo takes off running for the bridge and Sam and Gollum are like, no, not that way. (laughs) We will die if we go that way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And Frodo kind of like comes out of it and is like, whoa, what, what happened now? Yeah. It's all about this, you know, proximity to Sauron and being in this place of evil and darkness. The army moves on and Gollum takes Sam and Frodo into this tunnel stairwell thing that he has told them about. And like we mentioned before, it's super steep. It's pitch black. They can't see where they're going. The stairs are all uneven. It's pretty hard work. And I like that point that you made that Who knows if the Fellowship was with them, if they could have made it up. Yeah, they would have very likely been stuck because they they seem to make it pretty clear that dwarves are bigger than hobbits. And I think Gollum mentions that he knows about this because this is where he was hiding from people who were looking for him. And we know that Gollum is a small creature as well. Yeah, the Fellowship wouldn't have even been able to like get into this tunnel place. So I I guess that kind of like goes back to this overarching theme that the hero is, you know, the most unlikely of heroes and is so average and normal in this world. And you wouldn't expect that. But that's where lives the greatest potential for acts of, you know, heroism, heroism, heroism. That's the word. (laughs) That's really interesting because I, I took a lot of notes on, on this whole like hero topic too, but I don't I don't want to jump too far ahead of where you're at. Yeah, so like it I think it just goes into this thing of of Frodo was kind of fated to do this because only like this is a task only a hobbit could do. Uh only a hobbit could resist the temptation of the ring for so long. And only a hobbit could fit through this tiny little staircase. (laughs) They get up this first staircase and then they're like, oh, is there a place to rest? And Gollum says, yes, after the winding staircase, that one's next. And I'm like, that doesn't. Yeah, you made it up the straight stairs. Now let's go up the winding stairs because why not? That doesn't sound any better. That sounds awful. But that seems weird too, because if nothing any bigger could go after them and the orcs are definitely not smaller, 
then why wouldn't Gollum let them rest then? I don't know. I, I think Gollum is just really eager to just get this show on the road. And frankly, I don't like I don't know what his ulterior motive is. A part of me is thinking that he is delivering Sam and Frodo to someone else that he's already agreed to um, or, you know, made a deal with. I don't know. I, I truly have like zero idea of what Gollum is up to. I just know that he's doing something like he's up to something, you know, but I don't know what. I think at this point he has an idea of what he wants to do, but he's also very torn on whether or not he wants to do it. Oh yeah, that's a good point too, because he's pledged his loyalty to, well, he's pledged his loyalty to the ring, but kind of like sideways also to Frodo. And Frodo has treated him a lot better than any of the other characters have. So I think you're right that there is a part of him that is trying not to do what the bad side of him wants to do because he knows that Sam has, or he knows that Frodo has been nice to him and he doesn't want to hurt him or betray him. Oh yeah, so they get out of the staircase and they're kind of like on the, from my understanding, once again, Tolkien uses a lot of words and I'm still not exactly clear about like what's happening. But I think they're on like the very edge, they're on like some kind of path right neck on the edge of a mountain because it mentions that Frodo, like Frodo will look down over the edge and be like, oh, that's a long way to fall. So they're definitely in a in a perilous situation, to say the least. And this is when they see that there is a tower and Sam gets mad. He says, so this secret way of yours is guarded after all, he growled, turning to Gollum, as you knew all along, I suppose. All ways are watched, yes, said Gollum. Of course they are, but hobbits must try some way. This way may be least watched. Perhaps they've all gone away to big battle, perhaps. Sam is like, hmm, maybe, I guess so. He's like, well, that's still cut. That tower's still kind of far away from us. So I guess we'll worry about that later. And that seems to be Frodo's whole attitude in this chapter. Of like, well, if he's going to betray us, he'll betray us. You know? Yeah, yeah. So that's what they move. They Gollum says, okay, this is a place that we can rest. So they start resting and notice that they are almost out of water and they're very thirsty. And they just start wondering about where they're going to find water. And when Faramir left them, he gave them like one piece of direction. Faramir said, do not drink of any stream that flows from Imlad Morgul, the Valley of Living Death, which is essentially where they are or geographically somewhat near where they are. And this is like the one thing he told them to do. And then here they are talking about being thirsty. And hmm, I wonder where we're going to find water. And I'm like, these dumb idiots are going to eventually find a stream and they're going to drink from it. And it's going to like corrupt Frodo. And it's just not going to be a good situation. So I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> well, to be fair, you would think that somebody would pile them up with more water before they went on that journey <laughs> instead of being like, hope that one bottle lasts you forever. I know. Uh, so we'll have to... We'll have to like see where that goes maybe in chapter nine or 10, since that's all that's left of that of this book, which is crazy for me to think about that. I'm almost done with this. But yeah, they move into talking about Frodo and Sam have this like really almost like a fourth wall kind of a breaking conversation where they talk about their adventure. And they have a lot of like, they're very self, what is it? Self-aware of their situation of this is crazy that we're here, that this is the adventure that we're going on. Look at us. Hey, 
Look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. We are out of our element, but I guess that's what most adventures are about. They're about people who are doing things that they're not supposed to be doing and doing things that are out of their comfort zone. And that's what makes all of these stories and these tales famous and being passed down from person to person. And these people that we tell stories about and that we hear about, we only hear these stories because they did something difficult. They didn't, if they had just turned around when things got hard and they kept and, you know, went back and decided not to face any obstacles, we wouldn't hear about any of these people. And it's overcoming these difficulties that make it such a great tale and a great story to listen to. You know, that's funny because I I took notes on that same part, but I I kind of had a different thought process to that. Oh, what was yours? Um, So the... The exact uh, quote from Sam that I wrote down is, I used to think they were things the wonderful folk of these stories went out and looked for because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull, a kind of sport. But that's not the way of it, the tales that really matter, or the ones that stay in the mind. Folks seem to have been just landed in them usually. Their paths were laid that way, as you put it. And to me, that kind of showed that the fellowship is mostly anti-heroes. You know, they they weren't really chosen to form a partnership because they liked being heroes. It was because they needed to destroy the ring. And it was more of a desperate act than something, you know, it was because they had no other choice, not because they're like, well, I'm an adventurer, so I will go for that. Mm -hmm. Because you have Aragorn, who doesn't want to be the king. He wants to stay hiding with the elves. You have Frodo, who doesn't really want to be the ring bearer. It was just kind of thrown onto his shoulders. Sam, Mary, and Pippin, they were all shoved into the quest without fully understanding what was going on. Like, none of them signed up willingly. And really, the only one that wanted to be a hero or a savior was Boromir, and they killed him over that (laughs) because he was lusting for the ring. So that's some interesting commentary on heroes. But it, it really feels like Lord of the Rings is not a story about heroes as it is about growing up and doing what you have to do mm-hmm. because you have that duty, that familia expectation, the responsibility, whatever it is. Yeah, that's a great point. Just you reading that quote also reminded me that, yeah, where Sam says... I really more butchered that quote. <laughs> it's, it's also a long quote, but like I highlighted all of it anyway because it's a really great commentary on like stories and folklore and adventures and and things like that, that get told and retold and the things that we as a society, the stories that we want to hear and we want to tell and retell. Oh, here. Yes. And in writing, it sounds great in your head. But but trying to say that out loud, that's (laughs) like, this is not how humans speak. It's like in between Shakespeare and regular speaking. (laughs) It's like half Shakespearean almost. Uh, Sam says that he used to think adventures were things the wonderful folk of the stories went out and looked for because they would like he he thinks about these adventures being and the way that like Bilbo he heard Bilbo tell this you know his adventure he thinks about it being this like oh wonderful thing that you come back from and everything's fine and dandy but in the reality of it. And I think he says that 
Later on, he says, oh, Frodo says, you and I, Sam, are still stuck in the worst places of the story. That's ha- That's like a realization that they're both coming to of, yeah, these adventures are all fun and game. You know, it's all fine when you're listening to it. You know, when Bilbo's telling you his story, when you're sitting next to the fire in the comfort of your own home, but when you're actually doing it and you don't know the ending of the story, it's very scary and uncertain. I don't know. I just think it's like, it's a really cool, oh, and um. They start talking about, they wonder if their story will get told. And Frodo has like a kind of morbid thought. He says, he says, our part will end later or sooner. And then Sam kind of gives him some dark humor. And he says, and then we can have some rest and some sleep of like, well, at least if we're going to die, you know, our story might come to an end pretty soon if we all die. But at least then we'll have some rest. Then, yeah, so they start wondering about their own story. And this is where it gets kind of meta of like, I wonder if Tolkien would have, you know, ever imagined what his books would have become or became where they are, you know, as it stands now and the legacy they created. What is a legacy? It's planting seeds in a garden you never get to see. Sam says, but I mean, or talking about the story, but I mean, put into words, you know, told by the fireside or read out of a great big book with red and black letters years and years afterwards. And people will say, let's hear about Frodo and the ring. And they'll say, yes, that's one of my favorite stories. I just think it's really, it's just like really cute for me to think about Tolkien writing this, thinking about his own book of, I wonder if years and years from now, people will say, let's hear about Frodo and the ring. That's one of my favorite stories. You know, if he was still alive, it would be nice for him to see that, yeah, a lot of people, this is their favorite story. And it's definitely still being told years and years later. Well, I think if I remember right, he was alive when it really took off in the 60s. So Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it was him or if it was his children or whoever owned the rights after he died. But there was talk of a 60s Lord of the Rings television show at one point. And it sounded a lot more like Dragon Ball than it did like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he was alive for like, I would say the tip of the iceberg for all of the Lord of the Rings stuff. I think it was his son, Christopher Tolkien, who took over everything after he died. And Christopher Tolkien passed away earlier this year. If I like remember or understand it correctly, his son, Christopher Tolkien, was he like went through his dad's notes and collected all of this stuff that he had written about maps and like all of these short stories and and other extra things that we now have because of him and because of his work and his work and his like dedication to making sure his dad's work was put out into the world. And that's like, that's just got to be a really great thing to be so, so proud of that you have such a lasting piece of piece of like art and literature that 70 years later, it's still having a huge impact on people. That's incredible. So then they turn. So while they're talking about, hmm, I wonder what our story is going to be like, they turn to ask Gollum. They're like, hey, Gollum, what do you think? And they realize Gollum is gone once again. This has happened so much in this part of the book, in this like section of the book. This happened so many times where Frodo and Sam are just awful at making sure Gollum doesn't run away. And they constantly will fall asleep and then they wake up and Gollum is just gone or he just slips off and they're like, eh, 
I guess he's hunting, maybe? Who knows? And can we stop to mention for a second his amazing level of stamina? Like, he hasn't eaten, he hasn't slept, the hobbits are about to die, and he's like, let me go scurry off. Yeah, it's, it's like, scary, almost. I think what's keeping him going is his, like, lust and greed for the ring. And that is the primary... It's like he's on an adrenaline rush, but it's powered by the ring. And being near it has like reawakened that. And all he cares about is the ring. And he's so fueled by this hunger and lust for the ring that that's what's keeping him going all the time. And I think that's just a testament also to how much power the ring has over Gollum. Well, that's an interesting point too, because when Bilbo finds him in The Hobbit... He seems like so lethargic, like he's just been in a cave, he's not really moving, and he's kind of like, oh, I'm gonna get my ring out and get this hobbit, but then obviously Bilbo finds it first. But yeah, in Lord of the Rings, which is much later, Gollum is full of energy and life and, and just very different than the original that we saw. Maybe it's the fact that he wants the ring back that's powering him. It's this like panic of... I don't have the ring anymore. And this guy who's like literally right next to me has the ring. And if I do, if I play my cards right, I can somehow get the ring again. And I think it's that panic of, I want the ring back. I want the ring back that has fueled him. When he had the ring, he was comforted by the fact that this is mine. It's my precious. I'm going to keep it and no one's going to touch it. And I can do what I want and sleep for days and stay inside this cave forever. Is my guess and interpretation. I have zero idea if that's actually accurate. It it is interesting, though, to see the contrast between him because, I mean, yeah, I can definitely see where he wants the ring back, but also it's in his worst interest. No matter whether he turns them in or not, the ring is is meant to not be Gollum's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a great Dumbledore quote, I think, of like, cute... Well, then again, Gollum's not human, but I think it still applies of like, humans have a knack for wanting what we, for wanting something that's not good for us or wanting what's bad for us. And that's definitely true here. It's what Gollum wants and at times what Frodo wants, but it's not what's good for us and it's not what's best for us. Oh, so this is the part in the conversation where Frodo, where Sam is like, hey, Frodo, do you think Gollum is, you know, going to get someone to bring, you know, to bring back to us and turn us in and betray us? And Frodo's like, nah, I think if he was going to betray us, he would have done it by now. So we're probably fine. Which is the exact same logic that I use when I've been home alone all day and I like start, I go to get ready for bed and I hear a noise and I'm like, oh my God, is that a murderer? And I'm like, no, if it was a murderer, they would have killed me by now. I'm probably fine. And then I go to bed. Like, that's a comforting thought. Yeah, I don't know if Frodo is just, like, so mentally torn up or just so physically exhausted, but he's very much like, I'm sticking my feet over the bed. If the monster gets me, it gets me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Frodo's like, we've made it this far. Honestly, you know, we're go- we're probably going to die anyway. So what does it matter if we die at the hands of an orc army that Gollum is going to summon or if we die at the hands of Sauron? You know, what does it matter anyway? But that's also interesting that he, he keeps going with this sense of, well, we're probably going to die any minute now, but... 
you would think there would be some kind of self-preservation where he's like, maybe we should abandon this. Maybe we should just, you know, turn it over, give it to Gollum, whatever. But he he stays very true to, I'm going to see this to the end, even if I can't make it to the end. Yeah, he has a couple of those thoughts throughout this chapter specifically, too, of like... Uh, I think it's when they're talking, they're talking about the stories and the adventures and everything that they have heard about that they know about from growing up in the Shire, that we that like, oh, we wouldn't have heard those stories if those people had just turned around. And that's like us, we've come we we've come into a lot of situations where we easily could have turned around and said, never mind, we're gonna go with Faramir, or never mind, we're not gonna we're gonna turn back. But we didn't. And that's why hopefully people will hear about our story when we make it out of this alive, <laughs> they say with like their fingers yeah, crossed. Yeah, it's almost like their solace in the situation is that they hope to be remembered and that that's the only thing they have left to cling on to. Yeah, I think so too. Because it's kind of hard. Uh, it's when the like Morgul King and the army and everything are nearby and Sam or Frodo is thinking... He's like, what does it matter? Even if we do this, there's not going to be anyone for us to tell it to because all of our friends, because at this point in the story, they think the rest of the fellowship is dead. And they're like, there's not going to be anyone for us to tell it to because we're probably not going to get out of this alive. And what does it matter? And it's later when Sam kind of helps him clear his thoughts that he's like, even if no one hears about it, the ring will still be destroyed. And that's ultimately what matters is it doesn't matter if we have this claim to fame. It would be nice <laughs> if we could come back to the Shire and tell this story like Bilbo told his story. But he, yeah, he has this thought of like, no, this is what's important right now is destroying the ring. So after they kind of stop worrying about Gollum for a minute, they take a nap and they go to sleep for who knows how long, because when they wake up, they're like, is it today or tomorrow? I don't know if it's supposed to be nighttime. I don't know if this is daytime because everything in Mordor is like just terrifying. And they don't, they're like, I think that's supposed to be the sun, but I don't know. But they sleep for a long time. Gollum comes back. And I think I said on a previous episode that there was going to be a moment where Gollum is just standing creepily over Frodo while he sleeps. And like, and here it was. Here it is. <laughs> it happened. So Gollum comes back from doing whatever suspicious activities he was just doing. Don't be suspicious. And he stands over Frodo thinking to himself like, hmm, he has the ring. I bet I could take it. And he reaches out to touch Frodo. This wakes up Sam somehow. I don't really understand that, but whatever. Uh, I don't know why like that wouldn't wake up Frodo. <laughs> he but... wasn't touching him as gently as he thought. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it wakes up Sam and Sam is like, where have you been? You've been sneaking off to somewhere, haven't you? And Gollum's like, no, I haven't. The way you said that, like, like a toddler. No, I haven't. He's like, hmm, me sneaking off? No. <laughs> and he gets mad at Sam Gollum was like, I went off to get water and I've been super nice to you guys and I've led you exactly where I said you would lead. I would lead you and I've done everything that we agreed to. You should be nicer to me. And Sam feels bad, which frankly, he doesn't like he doesn't have to feel bad, but it's Sam. He's a very polite boy. I think it's fair that he feels bad, though, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> and so he says, OK, so what have you been doing? 
And Gollum gives him sass of, I was sneaking. You cl- you accused me of sneaking around and doing something? Fine. That's all I'm going to admit to. It's a very, like, like you said, like toddlerish thing. <laughs> then Frodo wakes up and Gollum kind of tattles on him, <laughs> tattles on Sam. And is like, he said I was sneaking off. And Frodo's like, Sam, why would you say that? That's not nice. <laughs> Mommy to the rescue. Yeah. Um, but Frodo literally, like, is the mother. <laughs> I mean, Sam is sometimes, they definitely take turns being the mother of the group, I would say. <laughs> they are pretty much like, all right, we're rested. Let's, let's move onward. And that's how, that's how the chapter ends. Is they're ready to keep going forward and find whatever enemies they find, which I'm sure there will be many. Especially considered the name of the next chapter is... Shalob's Shalob's lair. And a lair is not necessarily a positively connotated word. So she, we we shall see yeah. what happens. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't expect it to be positive. Again, not to throw out spoilers. But yeah, I would expect the doom and gloom. I know, But right? I, I do have a pretty lengthy defense of Gollum right now. All right, go um, for it. I want to hear it. I, I'm I'm really surprised like people people just only see the one presented side of like, oh, he's crazy, he's awful. But if you look at how he's treated, there's really a lot of reflection in that. And and the quote that Sam does, um, let's see, okay. Things done and over and made into part of the great tales are different. Why even Gollum might be good in a tale. Better than he better <laughs> gosh, I can't read the way he writes this. Better than he is to have by you anyway. And he used to like tales himself by his own account. I wonder if he thinks he's the hero or a villain. And then when Sam goes to ask him that, that's when they realize Gollum's gone. But it's really interesting to have that debate on Gollum's character and who he is versus who he was versus who he could be in the right circumstances. So before Gollum can really decide if he's good or bad, because he's always kind of rattling on the fence, like, oh, man, I'm in this internal struggle. And maybe I love them. Maybe I hate them. Maybe I just want the ring. I don't know. Um, But before he can really make that decision, am I good? Am I bad? Oh, I'm standing over Frodo. Maybe I do love him. Let me gently or harshly rub his leg until Sam wakes up. Sam immediately says, you are a villain. So he assigns him that role. And we're losing place on my notes. Uh, The funny thing about that moment is that Gollum is being described as looking like an old weary hobbit. And he's not going after Frodo maliciously. He's not going after the ring. There, There was this very caring element that maybe he was even remorseful for some things that he did or thought. And so... To the villain title, Gollum says, Smeagol has to take what's given to him. So basically, if you're going to call me a monster, then fine, I'll be a monster. And that sort of becomes the last call for Gollum's redemption potential, I think. And he he's kind of seen from his perspective that no matter what, no matter how hardcore good or bad he is, the hobbits will never accept him as more than a tool. Wow, that's, that's great. That's a lot of like really interesting... <laughs> uh, like I ran a lot out of, of interesting a few points. Times I love rambling it. on so hard. No, that was all. That was all great to hear. Um, I. It's also. Um, I'm trying to make sure that I have guests on who have either like completely different perspectives than I do, or 
someone who can come on and provide, you know, some different insight or provide, you know, extra information that maybe I haven't thought about or listeners haven't thought about. So, and it's also, it's always just great to hear additional perspectives, especially about like characters that like Gollum, which everyone, you know, just thinks of, yeah, he's disgusting and nasty and we hate him. So it's it's a lot more interesting when you read books from a perspective of, no, all of these characters are actually very complicated and they all have their own idiosyncrasy, idiosyncrasy, hmm, idio, you know what word I'm trying to say, <laughs> idiosyncrasy. See, there's not an in on there. Anyway, I got caught up on the word femininity a few weeks ago and could not get it out okay. of my mouth. Real talk, though, like just a, a side note, uh, I was I like accidentally minored in women in like women and gender studies in college because I was t- I took a bunch of classes that lined up with the minor and I was like all I have to do is take the intro class and I will have I will have completed the minor. And throughout all of these classes, I would be writing papers and I'm like, I don't know how to spell femininity or I don't know how to spell feminine. (laughs) And I'm like, this is a hard, I don't know why that word is hard to spell or say, but it is. It's just a weird part of the English language. It's not a fun word. I know, right? Femininity. So, uh, yeah, that brings us to the end of this chapter and the end of this episode. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you on the internet? Oh, um youtube.com slash the fangirl watches that should take you right to my dashboard awesome and what is something that you would recommend to people whether it's a book a movie um maybe something that is kind of related to the fantasy fantasy genre since hopefully the people listening like lord of the rings so hopefully they like the fantasy genre Oh, goodness. Okay. Um, Off the top of my head, I would say the thing I've been most obsessed with that's the closest to Lord of the Rings, maybe like super duper light version, Return to Oz, the movie from the 80s. Oh, cool. Um, It's interesting you say that. Are you familiar with that one? No, it's interesting you say that because uh, not too long ago, I had a guest recommend a podcast that was like a fictional musical version, like modern version of The Wizard of Oz. So I just think oh. it's interesting that like there are all these like Wizard of Oz, Oz related like forms of media that people are uh, enjoying that also en- who also enjoy. Well, Lord the reason of the Rings. I would I would recommend Return to Oz uh, with a pairing of Lord of the Rings would be I mean, it's so much darker. We have the destroyed dystopian Oz. And they literally try to electroshock Oz out of Dorothy's brain. Oh, my gosh. Like, it is the darkest, <laughs> most screwed up Disney movie you can find. And it is on Disney Plus right now. And it is amazingly wonderful. All right. So there you go. It's on Disney Plus. So everyone can watch that while we're all quarantining and <laughs> self-isolating. <laughs> For and the whatnot. rest of the summer. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBNE. You can learn more about that by going to WBNE.org. And might I suggest listening to the newest show on the network, our Dungeons and Dragons, that's not the right words, Dungeons and Dragons podcast, Late to the Party. In a world not unlike our own. 
it is a balmy 80 degrees in Miami, Florida. I don't recall there being tieflings in Miami. Now, you know that hammer toss isn't an actual hammer, right? It is in this universe. Okay. No, it's a, it's a big old it's a big old hammer. It's a big old sledgehammer. Where magic and monsters run rampant. Oh, Jordan has showed us a diagram of, uh, I think, Red-Eyes Black Dragon from yeah. the Yu-Gi-Oh! Oh my god. <laughs> uh, well, I speak infernal, so... A real estate agent. Lily Davis sells real estate by day. A football coach. I love you. Don't touch my flowers. A failed actor. I am a former Broadway star. And a teenager. Sunny days. A student in college. Crazy, right? Must save the world. And you're waving your clipboard back and forth and... Do I feel my clipboard connect with something? Yes. Coming March 23rd to WBNE. Late to the party. The cover art is by Graphite, a.k.a. Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TolkienAboutPod. You can find me on Twitter at MCWhatsUp and Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. You should also join the Facebook group because it's fun times in there. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod. Today's sponsor is Katie Knight. Katie, thank you so much for your support. I very much appreciate it, and I hope you are safe and doing well during all of this insanity. And also, finally, uh, if you like what you are listening to, please rate and review. That would mean a, a whole lot to me, especially right now when I'm home alone most of the time because my roommate is a nurse. She's an essential employee, and she's gone a lot of the times, and I'm alone a lot of the times. So please leave a review so that I can smile and feel good about myself while I'm alone a lot of the times. The discussion question a couple weeks ago, um, because I was struggling through a lot of Two Towers, my question was, what was something that you've struggled through? Um, a lot of you guys said Lord of the Rings which I just thought was funny um, that you guys were like, yeah, the Lord of the Rings is a, it's a, it's a tough series to struggle through, but it's worth it. It's definitely a marathon. Yeah. Uh, Tyler said everything in high school English class, which same. Um, and then on our Facebook group, Claire, oh my God, Claire, I don't even know how to say your last name. You comment and interact with so many things. Um, I'm going to try and say your last name. Krajewski. Sure. That sounds like a made up last name the way I said it. So I'm sorry if I said your last name wrong. Anyway, Claire said the first season of Once Upon a Time, which... I think is weird and kind of funny because I really loved the first season of Once Upon a Time and the later seasons is when I was like, okay, this is getting a bit weird. Peter Pan is yeah, that, that's Rumpelstiltskin's grandfather. Like that first season was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting storytelling. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting that you had trouble with the first season, but really enjoyed the other seasons when it was like the reverse for me. And then the discussion question for this week is um, not so much related to this chapter, but because of everything that we're all going through, I want to try and bring some positivity to the internet and into our conversation. So the discussion question, listeners, is tell me something that you have enjoyed while you have been hopefully at home isolating yourself, uh, whether that's like 
a book that you finally read or a movie. Um, it could also just be like, I learned how to crochet and that was very fun. Or my roommate and I did a puzzle and that was also fun. So just tell me something that you have enjoyed either doing or consuming during these past couple weeks. Uh, and you can tell me that on Twitter, Facebook, Discord, wherever I remember to post the question. So all that being said, do you have any parting words for our audience? I will say if you are reading this along with MC here, don't give up yet. I, I think it picks up a lot in The Return of the King. So if you're like slamming your head against the wall, there is more action coming, I swear. And that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm.